appreciate that very much. Um, you all are aware as much as I am that our, our world is changing rapidly. Uh, we often think of us here at Laurel Hill as being just a small group of people, but um, just a few moments ago, we had a lady and her daughter who's from um, the Arab-speaking world, didn't know any English, came in and wants to talk to somebody. And um, so thanks to Dave for working through the translator there. Uh, it is the app kind of thing. But uh, I say that because I want us to all make sure we're aware that God is going to be sending us people, right? We're, we're uh, not an isolated unit, and uh, the family of God is big, and so we don't know what God is going to be doing. So be praying as God may open doors that we have never seen before, as the rest of the world has experienced the same thing. So that's good. It's good. All right, so uh, we've had uh, three people who have completed the new members class, and so I'm going to have them just come forward, uh, not because of any other reason other than we just want you to have a face with a name. And so Ryan and Patty, if you guys will come, this is Ryan and Patty Dennis, and then Ed Maney. Ed's coming. Most of you know Ed. He's been with us for a little while, and they're just going to come down here. We're going to do a little official business. For those of you who are our guests, uh, we just have official business here with our church members. Um, in this class, we go through who we are as a church. I want everybody to know that as clearly as we possibly can, who we're affiliated with and whatnot, how we came into being and those things. We talk about salvation. That's number one. Uh, because as a church member, we want to make sure you know the Lord. Uh, and the way our government works here at the church is you as a church make the decisions mostly. And so anytime there's decisions to be made, we want to make sure you're filled with the Spirit to the best of our knowledge and understanding. And so uh, we talk about the Lord's Supper and baptism and those things. And then we talk about what church membership is and, and where do we find that in Scripture. And the answer is we don't find it in Scripture. But there are places throughout Scripture that help us to see very clearly that membership is a God-given thing to us, that there is an identification that the Lord has for his people, not just in the name Christian, but in a local body of believers. And so we cover all of that in that new members class. If you want to sit in one of those, we'd love to have you. Um, but we require people to go through that so uh, before we affirm them uh, in the church. And so that's what we're doing this morning is affirming them. We're blessed to have you here. And uh, so this is Ed and Ryan and Patty. And so those of you who are members signify by saying amen if you desire for them to join. Uh, any of those who may be opposed at all? None so ever. So praise the Lord. We're so blessed to have you come and be a part of things, Patty. It's a joy to have you. And Ryan and Ed, you as well, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. You may be, may be seated. <clears throat> yeah, membership is not meant to be an exclusive club-like kind of thing, but as I was saying, and I don't want to take too much time to talk about this, but uh, there are many facets in Scripture, wording, uh, phrasing, uh, situations that help us understand that uh, there is a uniqueness to the local body of believers. And um, if you're interested, we would love to talk to you more about that. It's a, a precious thing. It really is. Okay, so Junior Church is dismissed. Um, pray for us this week, us being my wife and me. Um, we realized... Uh, once again, there is a reason why God calls young people to be parents. <laughs> we have our grandchildren with us all week, and that's a great blessing. Uh, but next Sunday, I'm not sure what we'll look like. <laughs> so, so get a good look at this right now, because next Sunday, who knows what it's going to look like. We've had them all uh, 48 hours now, and uh, we're, we're, we're hanging in there. <laughs> Okay. Uh, the kids are, are doing a good job taking care of us. I should put it that way, right? So anyway, what a blessing. Um, I just want to start out this morning by apologizing for something that I said last week. And, and I, I really do feel a, a sense of, of needing to do that. When we were talking about the professor, if you were here, um, I kind of, in my emotion and passion, called him a knothead. And uh, <laughs> I remember really laughing. And uh, I should not have done that. Um, and you may say, gosh, I don't even remember that. Well, I did, and God put it on my heart. And here's the reason I'm saying it is because as much as we watch the world seemingly implode in many ways, it's never right for you and me as believers to look down or speak down to somebody. Uh, and so what we really need to do is pray for people like the professor and, uh, and be different from the rest of the world. And so my apology really goes out. And, and if he were here, I would do the same thing. And I just think that's right. 
you know, we've just had this landmark decision uh, with Roe v. Wade. Uh, you heard that news, of course. Uh, putting it just back into the state's hands, and lots of things are happening already. You know, there has been a uh, uprisings in places. Uh, Lynchburg, I know, has already experienced uh, some some problems at their pregnancy center. <clears throat> so we need to pray, uh, not get upset to the point where we do just what the other side does. Uh, but again, we are called to be different. And so this is a great opportunity for the church to be the church. And instead of arguing from fleshliness and our own passion, we need to argue from the Word of God and argue from love and hope and the plan of God to rescue lives no matter where we've been and, and what's happened. Uh, we've all been there, right, in the sense of being on the unsaved side. And, and we'll let God decide the saved, unsaved part. That's not my business. My job is to just preach, like you, the clarity of God's word and love people. Not necessarily their sin, right? We don't love the sin, but we love the sinner. And remember that if it weren't for God's grace, we would be right there. And so uh, in that way, we can have great compassion. But that also fits very well with what I wanted to do this morning. You know, I, I feel like I need to apologize even for this. Uh, I'm not, but I feel like that I want to get on with Matthew. Uh, I'm feeling anxious about getting on with Matthew. I mean, good grief, we've been in Matthew for three years now or longer, and we're just now hitting the halfway point. Okay, so the Lord may come back before we finish Matthew. So... Anyway, he'll teach you the rest when you get to heaven, okay? And that'll be a lot better instruction than me. Um, but there have been a couple of significant events, one of which you know about, some that you also know about, uh, some of you don't, I'll mention in just a second, uh, that have been tragic events for us. Uh, one, certainly the passing of, of Brother Carl, Preston's dad, and so Preston, our hearts are with you. Um, but that was tough for us as a church. You know, we miss him. Uh, standing in the back and greeting everyone. And, and, and so there's a sense of heaviness about all of that. Um, and then the other one I was mentioning that most of you know about was um, from United Christian Academy. Uh, many of us have spent many, many years a part of that school uh, for us some time ago. Uh, for others of you, maybe currently, uh, Philip Powell taking his own life on Father's Day. Uh, and um, I won't go into all the details of that, but Philip was a part of the family and the starting. His grandfather started the school. Uh, his mom was the principal or headmaster of the school for all the years that we've been here. She just passed away uh, last year, a year and a half ago, to COVID. Um, and they've had a real struggle, and now this with Philip. And um, as I sat down to begin to prepare for the message this morning, like I do on Monday mornings, uh, this just really took my heart, and, and I thought uh, both of these events just called me, at least, to as, as a shepherd over you, to try to shepherd us in the area of hope and, and peace. Um, so often we talk about the problems of the world and, and how we can correct those problems. And, and if you're like me, in our humanness, we often feel the weight of it all. And, and it's easy to get, as I was saying a second ago, fleshly about it. And I just think there are times where we just need to back up a little bit and, and listen to the comfort of the Lord. And so that you and I can be the reminders of the fact that there is hope in this life. Because there's hope in eternity. That many people are, are missing. And so that's really how I titled the message this morning is that there is always hope in Jesus. And so I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, other than those of you who are looking at me right now. What I mean by that, those of you online, I don't know what your situation is. I don't really know what's going on in the depths of your heart. Usually what I do know is that when a person says, in asking them, how are you? And they kind of say, uh, I'm okay. Well, multiply that by 10, 15, 20 times, and that's probably more closely accurate to what they're really feeling internally. In other words, we're not real good at expressing what we're really going through. And so I just wanted to preach to us this morning, remind us about what the Lord teaches us about the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. And so stand with me as we read from our text this morning. I've chosen Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. 
We're not sure who the writer of the letter to the Hebrews was. Uh, there's lots of speculation, some probably accurate, but we'll just leave that on the table. We do know that it's written by the, the mind and the breath of God himself. And so here's what he said. Since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And this is the two, these are the two verses I really want us to focus on this morning. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. All right. Please be seated. Job, in the Old Testament, said this, chapter 14, man who is born of woman, and he's making very clear here who he's talking about, the fleshly man, you and me, is short-lived and full of turmoil. That's an accurate description, isn't it? I don't think Job had to think a long time to come up with that. I mean, certainly he was inspired by the Spirit of God, but I don't think he had to scratch his head and try to decide whether that was true or not. Job lived it. And we're not going to go back into his life, but just understand that's a great study if you do want a study on a man who really was dealt tremendous blows by Satan and yet came out of it because of his trust in God and the hope that he had in the Lord. And then, of course, you remember one of my favorite verses in John 16, 33, as Jesus is instructing the disciples. We talked about this not long ago. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And, and you and I listen to Jesus in that, and we look at our world today as the disciples did, and we say, boy, you're not kidding, are you? And he really wasn't kidding. He meant that verbatim. Those of you who've lived long enough, which is mostly all of us in the room, uh, understand and know that to be true. Both Job is accurate and, and the Lord himself telling us straight up that this is the way life is going to be. What I love, though, in verse 33 of John 16 is what Jesus concluded with. He said, out of all of the most comforting, truth, truthful statements that I think the Lord could make is when he finished this verse by saying, but listen, take cheer, be encouraged, take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Precious truths. And so, as I thought about those two verses, our Hebrews text, and these today, Job, and this one, I thought, what is it that we need to do when life gets overwhelming? What do we need to do when life gets overwhelming? Um, I'm just giving to you from my heart what I believe works for me, or what I know works for me, and what I think is true from what we read in Scripture. The first thing is, when life gets really overwhelming, we hold on to the truth. That's number one. And I'm talking about the truth about what the Hebrews writer was saying specifically this morning. Of course, we know that all the Bible is true, but I'm specifically speaking about who Jesus is. Let me just give you a little bit of a context to help you formulate your thoughts uh, concerning this Hebrews passage. You remember, uh, or if you don't know, uh, in the Old Testament days of Israel, there was a tabernacle, and that was the place that God had designated for them to worship him. And there was a high priest among other priests, but there was a high priest, one man who was appointed by God, anointed by God through the Levitical tribe, who would go once a year into what was called the Holy of Holy Places. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God put or had Moses put in the table of the, the Ten Commandments, the tablets of, of the commandments, uh, the, the rod that budded that was Aaron's rod. And there's an uh, interesting story about that. And then some of the manna uh, that was provided for them in their 40 years of wandering. And so they were to put this in this ark that God designated for them and put it behind this curtain. And, and perpetually, year after year after year after year, the high priest would go in behind this curtain and he would offer sacrifice or the blood. He would sprinkle some of the blood of the sacrifice that was made outside of that tent on that ark of the covenant. And that's what the high priest did. The problem was, and this is what the Hebrew writer brings to our attention, is that man, that person, the priest, was a human being. And just like you and me, he had sinful tendencies. And so his work had to be perpetuated year after year after year because that's what was necessary for the people to be forgiven. 
And you can imagine, it was called the Day of Atonement. Every year on that day, there was a great celebration, and the priest would go behind the curtain, and he would make that sacrifice. And the cycle was just continually repeated. Now, when Jesus came, though, and here's the writer's point in Hebrews, he came not only as a man, 100% man, but he also came as the perfect and last high priest. And that's because he would be the one who would ultimately sacrifice himself, give his own life as God, as a human being, to pay the redemption price for the sins of all mankind, specifically those who would put their trust in him. He, Jesus, was the burden bearer of everything in life. Imagine now with me, and I want to be very specific about some of this, just as a reiteration of where our hearts need to be on a regular basis. Jesus bore the sins of all mankind. In his humanity, he was fully aware of the sins of man, which is why the writer says he sympathizes, he did, and he does sympathize with our weaknesses. It's so important, beloved, that we hear this. Whatever you're experiencing in life, Jesus knows. He's been there. He has been tempted with every, listen carefully, every temptation that you and I face. Now, your temptations are a little different from mine because your life is a little different. Generally, there are sins that we face together just in a culture. But wherever you are in life, male, female, it doesn't matter, your life is a little bit different. That's why there is no one person that you can turn to who you need to talk to that can identify fully with what you're going through. We all have our own story. We're all unique in that. And that's why often people get frustrated with life because they can't find somebody that really understands them. Many people try. People will go to counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists and others to find someone to help them identify with and be identified with. But there's nobody that's going to be able to do that except Jesus alone. And that's the writer's purpose. He's saying here that no human being has ever been tempted with a temptation that Jesus did not experience while he was on earth. I don't know if you ever thought about that or not. But that's what the writer's saying. And I just want to repeat that. No human being has ever been tempted with a temptation that Jesus did not experience while he was on earth. Now, to be clear, before we allow our minds to go in the wrong direction, to be tempted is not a sin. Okay? Temptation is not a sin. That's not the problem. We are all tempted. Jesus was tempted. So temptation is not the sin. It is the giving in to the temptation that becomes the sin. James, in his letter, gives a beautiful description of how the process of living and moving into sin works. James chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Okay, so truth partly in this is, don't ever think that when you're going through a difficult time that God is somehow tempting you to do something wrong or tempting you to go down a darker path or tempting you to let go of this or that or whatever. God does not tempt us. Tempt is a negative thing. Satan tempts us. God tests us. But testing is designed to help us succeed in life. Tempting is designed to help us or cause us to fail. That's what Satan wants to do. So if you want a real quick uh, elementary kind of thought about the differences between the two, there's one. Notice in verse 14 of chapter 1 of James, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Okay, now there's a mouthful. Listen to what James is really saying. Number one, God tempts no one. Okay, that's clear. Secondly, but temptations come because of your own sinful desires. That's where temptations come from. You say, why am I tempted? Well, Satan just spins his whatever 
that matches your natural sinful desire. That's what James is telling us. Meaning you can't blame somebody else for your sin. You are tempted in the way that you're tempted because there's something wrong in the heart. That's sin. But uniquely, whatever it is you're being tempted with is unique to you, at least in that moment. Whatever the situation is or your environment or everything, you can't blame anything else. This is you. It's me. Thirdly, James says, when you give in to that lust over that particular subject, again, whatever it is, that's when sin is born. That's when the violation occurs. And then finally, when that violation occurs is when death enters into the picture. Not just physical death. We die because we are generally sinful. But death to the life that God wants because your sin leads down a path that will grow darker and darker and darker. That's the progression of sin. That's how it works. And people become, like we saw last week, more and more confused about the truth. In other words, people don't just naturally get better. The lustfulness of the heart drives deeper into the wedge of sin, or the wedge of sin goes deeper into the heart, and it cycles down and goes down and goes down and goes down. Again, that's what's happening in our world. We tried to answer some of these questions last week. What's the problem with our world? Well, this is what James is talking about. The world is enticed in whatever subject we're talking about by the lust that's in the heart. And they give in to that lust, and then it becomes sin. But when sin is born, it becomes darker for them, and they spiral down. So that should be clear for us. And again, all that happens because, contrary to what the world will say, man is not good. Man is not inherently good. We like to think that because we base our truth and our living on life and what we think is good and evil based on what we see in humanity compared to ourselves. In other words, look at how terrible my neighbor is. Well, we say that because I think I'm a really good neighbor. But we're comparing to the wrong person. We should be comparing ourselves to God. And then all of a sudden, my neighbor and I stand beside each other and say, oh, woe is me. Because now God is the one who is the the checkpoint, okay? We are sinful from birth. And again, if we're left unchecked in our sinfulness with God and the truth, and there's no change of heart, then there's a real problem. Just the opposite is true in the spiritual person, though. When the truth of God comes in, then the heart is changed, and the Holy Spirit fills that heart with truth, giving man the ability now to discern really what's right and what's not right without which we have no ability to do that. And I'm saying all of this really, again, because many people think, as I've already said, that the world is getting better, and that's not true. I'm not trying to be negative this morning. I really am trying to lift us up through God's Word, but we have to understand, and I think the problem we're experiencing, you and me, in our culture right now, is that we've not experienced some of these things that we're seeing in our lifetime. We've heard stories of them. We've read things in the Bible that were terrible. You remember there was a day where the Lord destroyed the world because man was so evil. But we're not there yet. That day was pretty bad, evidently. And we'll look at that in just a minute. But we're not getting better. Now, things can get better. There can be circumstances and times that will get better as God does his work in eternity and continues to reach out to people The mystery for you and me, though, is how do you and I blend together in our prayer life and our life together in the Spirit with the culture around us and make sense out of it? Well, that's God's business to a certain degree. In other words, God somehow mysteriously and wonderfully weaves your prayers and your heart and your thought life scripturally with his eternal plan of redemption and his sovereignty together in a way that you and I humanly can't understand. God can change things through our prayers, even though somehow it's mysteriously a part of his sovereign plan. Now, if I could explain that further, then I would be God and I would need him, but I can't. And so we'll leave it right there. That's just truth. God has an eternal plan. Let's put it this way. He's the writer of the story. We're not going to change the story. He has written the story, but yet somehow in his divine sovereignty, he gives us the privilege 
to be a part of that writing. Sounds like science fiction, doesn't it? Well, it's not. It's the eternal mind of God. But you and I have the ability to pray and ask God to do his work, and God responds in his own way and in his own time. Now, the good news also with all of that is that God is still rescuing people who has a, now we now have a loving father who rescues as he hears our prayers, and he will, he will respond as he sees fit, as I was just saying. And so it's our job to be praying. If we want to know what to do as we're remembering the truth, we need to be praying people. We need to be diligent in our prayers, asking him to do things like, right now especially, protect the innocent. You know, Lord, watch out for, care for, cover, surround the minds of children, surround the physical bodies of children, surround those people who belong to you, and however God would have you formulate that. And sometimes, we were saying this Wednesday night, sometimes I have to pray, God, show me how to pray. Because I don't know how to pray sometimes. I literally have to ask the Spirit, how do you want me to pray through this? What do you want me to ask you for? And so I think sometimes it's like that. I don't know what God is in the midst of doing in all of what he's doing right now. What we do know is that in the subject of Roe v. Wade, for example, God has obviously been hearing the hearts of his people. And he's made some changes legally. And so for you and me then, we just follow him in love and grace and, and compassion for the people that we talked about earlier, even as the world grows darker and Satan begins to do his work of, of taking over. We know how the story ends, in other words, right? God is not going to rewrite Revelation. He's not going to rewrite the end. He's going to fulfill everything that he has already told us. But it's your job and my job to follow him in the truth, and that comes through following him in prayer. Now, along with the good news, we've been given a Savior who never sinned, but was tempted, as we already said, in every way that you and I are tempted. And I just want to explore that just for a minute. You know what that means? That means that when Jesus was on the earth, he was tempted with things like, and you fill in the blank, sexual desire. You say, oh, pastor, don't say that about the Lord. Hey, he was a man. Right? I didn't say he fell into the sin. There's some who have tried to say that. But he was tempted with it. Fear, anger, frustration, worry. All these things that you and I face on a daily basis, the Lord was just as tempted with them. The tendencies that we have that pull us in certain directions in our humanness, Jesus was tempted with that possessiveness, covetousness, the desire for what somebody else has, a better relationship, you name it. I can't even name them all. That's why the Spirit just put down the line, hey, he sympathizes with us because he knows what you've been tempted with and what you are being tempted with. Let's put it this way. There's nothing you're going to be able to come up with that Jesus wasn't tempted with. How about that? Boy, for me now, that's comforting. You know, Satan wants to tell you and me that, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're way out there somewhere. You've got temptations and issues going on that people would blush at and God would blush at. No, not according to the Bible. Jesus has already been there. He's already walked your path in the temptation sense. The difference is with you and me is that he never gave in. So whatever subject you want to be, just understand Jesus understands the battles in your flesh because he's been in the battleground. And, and Satan wants you to not believe that. He wants you to just somehow assume Jesus can't identify with you and where your life is. And that's a lie. He wants you to believe there's no hope for you. You've been too bad. You've done too much. There's no way that God can rescue you. This word sympathize is so beautiful. It means, in the definition of the word, to have a fellow feeling with. Do you like that? Have compassion or be touched with a feeling of the same kind. I really like this. In a number of languages, the closest equivalent is to understand completely how a person feels. There you go. Isn't it awesome that the Lord refers to him as a wonderful counselor? 
again, I mentioned before, even through COVID and even prior years, but now, especially through COVID in our lifetime, uh, the counseling offices are full. They're more and more full because people are literally needing someone to identify with them. And hence, we have this beautiful truth that he understands completely how you feel. In other words, I kind of picture this in a counseling setting. Jesus is sitting there with you and you're trying to describe to him all of your feelings and he's going, yeah. But, but here, you know, you're in the depths of your conversation and you're, you're just digging out all of this stuff that you're emotionally going through. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I was tempted with that. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, I got it. But, 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 but this is what happened the other day. And, and, and I was experiencing this, Lord, and, and, and surely as God, there's no way that you felt that. Yeah, I did. I was tempted with that. Same thing. Isn't that awesome? It's beautiful. It just tells us that if he was tempted in every way we're tempted, we can trust him. We can trust him perfectly with everything to get us through. And why, beloved, we never need to be overwhelmed with the circumstances of our lives. Our lives. Never. Again, I wish we could go through the list of all the things you're experiencing in your life right now. Caring for somebody, raising children, financial, whatever it is. Jesus is saying, yeah, I understand the temptations. I was there. I've been there. Now, again, I'm not trying to be insensitive to the hurts of people. I'm not trying to minimize the hurts of people. I'm trying to identify with that. I hope what you hear this morning is that God is wanting to give you hope and to remind you, that you've never, if you've never been made aware of it, that Jesus is the hope for all the troubles in life because he's been there no matter what it is. And again, you may say, Pastor, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but you have no idea what I'm going through. And I don't say that flippantly because I'm sure that's true. I'm sure there is no way you could express to me as a man what you're going through and me understand it perfectly. But the point is, Jesus does. Which is why, in our darkest times, he must be and should be our hope. No matter what it is you're experiencing. No matter the situation. And I'm going to sound like a broken record. Because we need to get it into our heads. No matter what your situation, no matter how badly you have messed up, no matter what you're experiencing or have experienced, what you've done to somebody else, Jesus has not sinned, but he has been tempted with the same type of temptations that you experienced and do experience. And he wants you to know that. Because he loves you. He loves you. And he wants you to know that he has the ability to bring you out of whatever you're experiencing. In fact, Paul would write this in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to handle. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape. You see, that clarifies for us the definition in James about what a temptation is. Why would God, if he's the evil God, putting a temptation to cause you to fall on you, then say, I'll never give you more than you can handle without giving you a way of escape. See, it just supports itself. He doesn't. He gives us all a way out. And that way out is always, and you may say this morning, yeah, that's what the preacher's supposed to say. No, it's not what the preacher's supposed to say. I'm just repeating what God has said. Jesus is the way out every single time. And you say, well, I need some real practical help with that. Well, everybody's life is dynamic. We're all a little different. It just simply comes down to in the moment of your greatest need or your simplest need is that you remember, first of all, the truth of what God has said. I don't have to listen to the lies. I don't have to be drugged down by the lies that Satan wants to tell me that I'm not going to get through this. You will because God will give you the way to get through it, whatever it is. So don't be surprised 
when temptations come, just understand that God is using them in a way to grow us and cause us to trust him more. James said it this way. Go back to James in verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Isn't that beautiful? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. It's an approval process. The Lord, like a beautiful parent, causes us to go through the heat sometimes, the challenges, the struggles, in order to temper us, to get us to be able to endure, all the while walking right alongside him. And he promises us, listen, at the end of all of this, when it's my time to bring you home, you hear that? When it's my time to bring you home, you will receive a crown of life. And that's the representation of eternal life. So, we may not be taken out of the temptation. They're there for a purpose. But he will certainly meet us and go with us through it. And there are lots of examples of this. I've got several here. If you take Adam and Eve, for instance, just go back to the beginning. I mean, Adam and Eve were put in a beautiful garden. They were given everything that they could ever want in life. Uh, They knew nothing of sin. Uh, They knew only a perfect relationship with each other. uh, But they disobeyed God. And they blew it. I mean, if you want some people to really go over their life, you know, I mean, in our humanness, sometimes you hear stories. Have you ever noticed how when you get news about something, you go, like that, or just just give me a minute. It's because you and I don't have the ability to discern in the moment what's really going on there. We're shocked by something. God is never shocked by anything. But Adam and Eve... Sometimes we look at that and we go, what? It's like if you can imagine being on the other end of the phone and you hear, yeah, I got some bad news for you. What's that? Uh, Adam and Eve, the perfect parents, no sin, they just sinned. Uh, They just blew it for all of us. And guess what? Now, you remember how things were going so well and we were going to have eternity without any problems? Yeah, that's not going to happen anymore. Now we're going to have to struggle a lot. This is a real bummer. But through his mercy, God covered them immediately. God said, yeah, you blew it, but I still love you. And he covered them in their nakedness. He caused them to depend on him is what he was doing. They went from, okay, I gave you nothing to need to now you're going to have to depend on me for everything. That's a good discipline from a parent, isn't it? He loved them in the midst of where they were. He didn't just let them have the garden. You hear that, parents? He made them be obedient and taught them obedience. In fact, he made them leave the garden so they would have to depend on him further. And you know the story. Humanity goes on. More and more problems happen. Sin got worse and worse. That's where we were talking about where God destroys the world. That's where Noah comes into the picture. But did you know that Noah, as even though he was referred to as a righteous man in Genesis 6, uh, sinned himself? Once the water subsided, in Genesis 9, Noah got drunk. Now, you and I would probably go, I can kind of understand that. You know, he just went through a lot of years of uh, real hardship. And in our flesh, we'd say, okay, I'm going to have a party. But Noah pulled the wrong plug. No real pun intended there. And um, disobeyed God. And from that, he had to depend on God even further. Because from Noah, in his ungodly actions, the perpetuation of sin would continue. It didn't stop. But it kept on. Then you got Moses, who God brought into the world through a Hebrew couple making them give up Moses as a child to a pagan king. Can you imagine that challenge as a parent? Imagine Moses' mom standing there on the banks of the Nile River, pushing that little basket out into the river and just trusting God that he was going to guide that little ark, that little float, to where God would have him to go. I can't imagine. 
You know, most of us as parents can't stand to leave our kids in another room for 30 seconds, much less put them in a little basket and float them out on a, on a river. But they did that, or she did that, because she knew that God was faithful. God would fulfill his promise to them that he was their God. Many years later, Moses would learn his identity, and God gave him the task of going to Pharaoh to demand him to set the Hebrews, fi- uh, Hebrews free, and Moses says, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't like that plan. Get somebody else. I like it here on the backside of the the desert and where I'm a shepherd for the last 40 years. And by the way, you know, I don't speak well anyway. He tried to cower in the peacefulness of his life. Listen to that. He tried to hide in the peacefulness of his life when God was saying, this life is not your peace. I am your peace. Eternity is your peaceful life that's coming. This place, you are my servant and I need you. And I'm calling you to serve me. Now, I have to pause right here because I think one of the things we get trapped in in our United States is look at this eternal peace that I've been given. And we build our little compounds and our little private places and push the world away and say, oh, I don't want to hear the bad news. And I'm right there with you. But what God is saying is, that, listen, this is not your eternal place. Right? Just like the story says or the song says, we're just a passing through. This world is not my home. Heaven's our home. And so while we're here on earth, we're to be servants of the Most High God, trusting Him for His faithfulness because we're already safe, right? We're already safe with Him. Going on, we got people like Gideon. He's afraid of the Midianites. He hid for fear out of them. Um, Samson, who lived a very riotous life, sexually immoral, Um, purposefully denying the Lord, intermarrying with pagan people, yet God in his sovereignty, and we see this in Hebrews 11, still remembered Samson because Samson in his last days turned to the Lord and was used of God. You got throughout the Old, Old Testament, you got people living lives of incest, temptations to follow satanic gods, and God rescued these people and used them for his purposes. King David messed up. Boy, we don't have to talk about him very long. Everybody knows about King David. You know, David evidently had this real thing for women. And um, anybody else like that? Any women like that? Have a thing for men? Sounds kind of common to man, doesn't it? Well, we just have David's record. How would you like it if for thousands of years you had your story written in a book that everybody studied week after week? And you became the example. You know, David's probably going in his humanness, why do I always have to be brought up? Yeah, I messed up. I mean, that's my fleshly interpretation of this, right? But the, re- the reality is, is that both David and Bathsheba came to a place where they understood that even in their greatest messed up times, God was still faithful to them. Because that's who God is. He's faithful to us when we're not faithful faithful to him. Listen to what David said in his cry to help for God. Just, just listen to his heart for a minute. Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, I love this. For I know my transgressions. David wasn't denying it. I know. I know that I'm a sinner. Look, and my sin is ever before me. David couldn't take a step without his sin being in, the fa- in his own face. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He didn't blame anybody else. So that you are justified when you speak And blameless when you judge. In other words, Lord, I can't say to you, um, so-and-so did it, it wasn't really me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, talking about sin. And my mother, my mother conceived me because she was sinful. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden parts you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. In all that pressure that David put himself in could have caused him to get to the place of despair to the point where he would take his own life. I just got to get out of here, you can imagine. I'm going to end it all. It's going to be over and done and I won't have to put up with this pressure anymore. But he knew the love of God was far greater than anything he could inflict upon himself to to reprieve himself of anything he had done. God is able to rescue the broken soul. That's the business that he's in. David's son Solomon didn't have it much better. Solomon, wealthiest man of all, gets to the end of his life. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and he says, look, here's the end of it all. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what's important. And then we have people in the New Testament like Paul, raised in the greatest of Hebrew schools. This guy was the elite of the elite. Trained under the greatest teachers of the day in Hebrew and under the law of God. But Paul became a murderer of Christians and a constant threat to their lives day after day after day until God blinded him on the road to Damascus while he was on his way to murder more Christians. And Paul became one of the greatest servants, if not the greatest servant in the New Testament times. And they're just a sampling of all of that. Listen, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. Don't you love that? I know we've repeated that so many times over, but it's so good. It's so refreshing. We're in that list, beloved. You're not immune from the list. Sin puts you in the list. But God says, when you turn your heart over to me, I wash you. I change you. And your hope is no longer in you. Your hope is in me. And I will make you what I want you to be. A couple more verses. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. We've never studied that book, but it's a great one. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. Boy, could we just pause right there? I don't know what you're going through, but could you just understand that God is saying to you, look, I know what you're going through. I am your fortress. I am your support. I am your power. I will get you through whatever I bring to pass in your life. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. But when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth, he will not allow your foot to slip. He will keep you, you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. New Testament, 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. You know what he's saying? You go through difficulties because there are people who need your comfort. I'm simply saying, beloved, through all of this, and we could spend a lot of time looking at a lot of verses, maybe at this very moment your mind is in a battle. I don't know. I just try to be obedient to what I feel like the Lord's telling me to talk about. And maybe that battle, though, has just completely left you wiped out. You're kind of done. You're at the end of your rope. I don't know. I don't know who's listening to this. Maybe you're that person who's just in despair of life and you're the one who's now saying, there's only one way out of this. I hope you hear God saying, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. You don't have to do that. 
That's what the enemy wants. Jesus is your hope in this life and in the next life. He's the reason for continuing. So continue. Even when the closest to you hurt you, even when the things of this life hurt you or overwhelm you, just know that your life is not beyond what God can do and what he can cause to happen in your life. No matter, again, what you have done or where you have been or what somebody else has done to you, even if you're the innocent person in the situation, even if you've been falsely accused or if you've caused the problem, Jesus is in the business of saving and creating a new life for anybody and everyone. There's no such thing as a life that God cannot touch and fix. No problem's too big. No situation is too difficult. No relationship is beyond repair. One of the things I often tell people in counseling that are struggling with each other in marital relationships, one of the first things I say to them is that, listen, if you're willing, you need to understand this, that through Jesus Christ, every relationship can be restored. You think I'm crazy? Maybe. But the Lord is not crazy. The Lord can fix it. No circumstance is unable to be mended because he's been there. He's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. And God gives us the beauty of all this is that God not only works in our own hearts, but he does give us other people. He gives us pastors. He gives us counselors. He gives us relationships. He gives us husbands, wives, friends, co-workers, all these people. In fact, um, Missy, you might be able to help clarify for me, but I, I thought about this little bracelet thing that you guys put together, the Cynthia Hash Foundation. Um, is that right? MyLifeMatters.info. A Mitchell Hash Foundation. This was her son who committed suicide. And um, there are things like this. We've got a pile of these. It's just a little bracelet as a reminder. And it says, My Life Matters. A Promise to Me. It's beautiful. Things like this. We have this. Suicide prevention stuff. Yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you. We'll give them away free. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Yeah, we're, we're, we've got tons of them and we'll, we'll give them to you. Now again, I don't know if you're here today or you're listening online and this is where you are in life. Here's what I do know. On Father's Day, nobody was aware that Philip Powell was going to take his life. Nobody knew that. He did. I just pray that if you're at that place or wherever you are, that you'll hear the message of God to you this morning. That he's reaching out to you. And he's saying, I'm all the hope you need. I can do it. Some of you may remember, and I'll close with this, an old hymn. It was written many, many years ago. I think it was actually published in 1952 by a man named John Peterson. Uh, but some of us old-timers will remember it. It's titled, No One Understands Like Jesus. He's a friend beyond compare. Meet him at the throne of mercy. He is waiting for you there. The chorus says, No one understands like Jesus when the days are dark and grim. No one is so near, so dear as Jesus. Cast your every care on him. Verse 2, No one understands like Jesus every woe he sees and feels. Tenderly he whispers comfort and the broken heart he heals. No one understands like Jesus when the foes of life assail. You should never be discouraged. Jesus cares and will not fail. No one understands like Jesus. When you falter on the way, though you fail him sadly, fail him. He will pardon you today. Praise the Lord. We serve a great God, don't we? There's always hope. I'm going to ask us to close a little differently this morning. And it's going to be uncomfortable for some of you just because it's different. Hopefully not too uncomfortable. I'd like for you to turn to somebody next to you, not your spouse, okay? I'd like it to be somebody sitting near you. And don't be afraid to get up and move around if you need to. We're going to close with this time of prayer. I want you to ask somebody next to you, what is it that you're going through that I can pray for you about right now? Can we do that? What is it that you're going through right now that I could pray for you about? And just in turn...
take turns. Now, remember, prayer is not meant to be hard or uncomfortable. Prayer is just talking to God. So if you are uncomfortable praying and you're new to this thing, just let the other person do the praying. If you're both uncomfortable, ask each other the question at least and just sit there silently, okay? And let's just let God do his work. So we're going to take about five minutes and just even mingle among each other if you need to. And I'm going to pause here just for about five minutes and then we'll, I'll close this in prayer. So what can I pray for you about today that you're going through specifically, okay? All right, let's take a time to do that just for a minute. Those of you who are online, please just be in prayer, if you will, as uh, we take time to pray here for one another. I appreciate that. Lord, I just thank you for this man and the influence he has on us, Lord, and that he is solid in you and he teaches us and we just ask you to walk with him, walk with me too, Lord, as we go through this life and we see the temptations, Lord, and we know what this world is, is like outside these walls and we can't imagine it without knowing you, but protect him, protect his family, Lord, and just continue to be a blessing to us thank you all right well we'll we'll conclude our time right there I think you could probably spend more time at that 
I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, Pastor, please be quiet. We're praying. And that's good. That's good. Don't stop. If you continue to, if you just need to keep praying, that's fine. We're just going to close out the service. Okay. This is what, this is what church is all about. This is what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. Okay. Bearing one another's burdens. I don't know who you are here today or listening online, but I know somebody is in the depths of despair. And God wants you to know he loves you. And it's a good reminder to us all. So let's pray, and then we'll close. And uh, you can continue to fellowship. That'd be awesome. Somebody told me not long ago that one of the greatest signs of a healthy church is that people don't want to leave right away. That's good news. I kind of like that. <laughs> you know, it'd be terrible. It's like, got to get out of there. No, but all right. Father, we do count it such a privilege and such a joy, uh, Lord, to, to know that when we're in the midst of our Monday through Saturday, and even Sunday, but specifically those six days of the week, when we're so hammered and Satan is just seemingly relentless, trying to confuse and create despair, Lord, that we have the truth of your word and the truth of your life, that you are, you are who you say you are. You've proven yourself time and time again throughout history, and you've left us the truth in your book. Thank you for this body of believers, Lord. Thank you for this message today from your heart to all of us. And we thank you that no matter how troublesome life gets, no matter how bad the world looks, there's always hope. And so we turn our hearts to you and ask us in those deepest moments when we're tempted the most that you would remind us that, that you are there. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Would everyone stand, please? How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. And he should give his only son to make a wretch his
Father, we thank you so much for your love for us, Lord. We thank you for the fact that you paid a price that we could not for all the debt that we accumulated and will accumulate. Lord, I thank you for the love of Jesus who is willing to die for us. It's in his name I pray. Amen.